0: You're listening to So What's Your Story, a weekly show where we talk to writers about writing. Hey, folks, it's Tony Russo, and this week we have recordings from the Indie Lit Festival in Frostburg, Maryland. Um, Independent publishers come and show their books, and we talk publishing, and we talk writing, and we talk all the kind of things that we generally talk about on a writer's roundtable here. So I hope you enjoy it. It is live, so there are people talking in the background, so I apologize for any audio inconsistencies. Um, But the next three or four episodes are going to be some of these great interviews that I did. And this first one is with Kristen Grinder and Kira Conwith, and they're the editors of, so to speak, which is a literary journal published at George Mason University. Um, And they have lots of really cool insights and they're really fun to talk to. So. I hope you enjoy the show. And, ladies, if you can introduce yourselves.
1: Hello, my name is Kristen Greiner. I'm a third year at George Mason University's MFA program in creative writing, getting a Master's of Fine Arts in creative writing with a concentration in nonfiction. And I'm the editor in chief of So To Speak.
2: And my name is Kira Condes, and I am a second year um, fiction MFA candidate also at George Mason. And I am the assistant
0: editor in chief. And um, so how did you guys end up coming up here to Frostburg to, to?
1: So we actually got an email from our program director telling um, the different lit journals that we have on campus that this was an opportunity that we could have. And we thought this would be a great way to spread the word about our literary journal outside of the Northern Virginia area. So that was a big part of it. And we are open for our submissions for our contest issue right now. So we thought this would be a great way to get some outside people to send us some work.
0: As as the people who do the editing, and as as someone who does submitting, it's always a little. It always feels a little weird to submit to a uh, to a journal if I don't go to the college.
1: Interesting. I mean, I f- we don't actually accept George Mason students yeah. in our journals, so oh, really? it, we only take outside submissions. I think you have to be out of the program at least five years yeah, before five years. you can submit to it for consideration.
0: Mm-hmm. That, that, that's fantastic. Yeah. And so um. Last year you were a reader, now this year you're the assistant editor, so mm-hmm. what's changed for you and what are the what, what is your process now? What, what did your job used to be and what is it now?
2: So I started out reading, which is basically um, where you are assigned a bunch of submissions and you just basically vote uh, what you think about them, give some comments, um, and kind of try to help the genre editors make a decision. Um, and after that I actually was the assistant fiction editor for a little while which involved kind of going through those genre submissions for fiction taking in the readers input and um, making those final decisions with that input on which fiction pieces we were going to publish Um, and now as the assistant editor-in-chief it's more doing a lot of outreach and social media Um, we're thinking kind of broader strokes about like what's what is our goal as a magazine this year? Um, what changes do we want to make? How do we want to move forward? Um, we also, it's kind of our job to make sure that all the pieces that each genre puts forward are pieces that we feel go with the magazine's mission and things that we're really excited about publishing. So um, yeah, it's a little bit of a multifaceted role now.
0: <laughs> and, and so as, as the editor-in-chief, do you how long have you been doing that? And, and that's a that's a huge responsibility.
2: So I was actually
1: in Kira's position last year as assistant editor in chief. So you kind of go from one step to ah. the next. So like basically, assistant editor in chief is being trained to be the editor in chief.
0: <laughs> so you don't like her, or you do like? Oh, her? Oh,
1: I do like her. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I hired her. <laughs> Yay! Um, so it's it's respons- It's definitely a huge responsibility because you know, I want to make sure that we're putting our best work forward and we're doing the best work we can possibly do. I've been in this role since June, I believe. So it's been a learning process, but it's exciting and it's fun. Um,
0: Now, did you have input on this year's theme or do you?
1: So we don't actually really have a theme. Usually it's kind of anything that's under the umbrella of intersectional feminism, so some pieces are about the intersections of feminism in class, versus race, versus gender, versus um, sexual identity, so there's just a whole bunch of different things, and really our goal is to raise the platform for marginalized voices that don't usually get as, like, as big of a platform in the literary community, so that's like a big part of what we do, so really we focus on that.
0: And both of you can take take turns answering Is this idea of because a theme is going to, I, as I said before we started, I guess a theme is <laughs> going to emerge in the in the magazine itself. And right. Mm-hmm. How long does it take before you, before that kind of starts to take shape, where you're like, oh, this is what it's about.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, I can say this from last year's um, online issue and this issue, the contest issue is once you read all the pieces together during like the like copy editing and you kind of start like seeing the connections between the different pieces. Like in our online issue, a really big thing that we didn't notice until I was reading it and writing my letter from the editor was the impact of how language is so important because in some pieces, people lost their voices and their ability to speak and, like, promote themselves and, like, advocate for themselves. And then others' language was, like, used as, like, something to heal. So it's just, like, the power of language is so important. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's something that's popped up before. So really, you can see the connections as you're reading everything all together. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So
0: how did you you choose fiction above other other genres Um, it's if Stephanie were here she would point out that both she and I write nonfiction Mm -hmm. and the fiction people are always a little (laughs)
2: yeah so um, I did kind of all three genres as an undergrad Um, I was lucky to go to a college that offered lots of different workshops um, that was SMU out in Dallas and I took nonfiction fiction poetry and ultimately for me the thing I felt most at home doing was fiction because for whatever reason, when I was making up weird situations, I, I was like, yes, this is this is the momentum for me. But I think a lot of what I write about is so rooted in reality. I do a lot of um, work about power imbalances and negotiations within different social groups. And um, I think it for me, writing about that from a nonfiction perspective was so difficult. And when I was writing fiction, I could really take the wildest things and just use them in stories to help um, kind of illuminate whatever realistic thing I was talking about. Right. So it was just a, a really interesting tool for me to almost distance myself from the subject matter, but still get to write about it.
0: Now, when you're when you say uh, how much of your fiction, you gave me the impression that your fiction wasn't was was. Closer maybe to science fiction or speculative fiction or magical realism type stuff. Is that is that kind of what you were getting at when you said that?
2: Yeah, I do a lot of magical realism and surrealism and I also do kind of realism but realism that is a little bit weird. Mm. <laughs> so it's still like our world, but I always wanna have something in there that just feels a little bit strange.
0: Right, to, to, to keep I just we just interviewed uh um, a writer. His name is Rianne Scott.
2: Oh yeah, he was our visiting writer at GMU. Oh,
0: fantastic! Well, hello, Rion out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, we, we spoke with him last week, and I guess it makes a little more sense now. He said very, very much the same thing. It's just a little, a little bit of extra color, maybe, yeah. to, uh, to kind of, to kind of bring it out. I like
2: that phrasing. That's
0: really nice. Yeah. And um, and so nonfiction. Yes. I, <laughs> uh, the uh, what. The, the downside to nonfiction, I found out the hard way, and I'm, hopefully they, they to- <laughs> told you already, is you you need to get permission before you can do a lot of work. If you want to get right. if you want to actually sell a work, you have to sell it before you write it. It's yeah. not write it and then hope someone buys it. Um, so where where are you in your career now? Because as as you're, you're finishing up now, so you're yeah. you're for real.
1: Um, <laughs> if I'm for real, that's scary. Um, so I. Uh, Oh, gosh, I don't even know where to go with this question. Um, So I write about myself a lot. So Mm. I give myself permission to talk about me. Um, So and I also do like a lot of my work is personal essays. So like there's like a memory and usually I go and stem out on research with it and then like try and like have different like basically like a laundry line. And then you put like different clothes on it and it goes down in some parts, but stays straight in other things. So I always have a through line but then I always like try to add like different facets because I think braiding essays are so interesting to read, so I like writing them a lot. Um, so having it be personal observations is a lot easier to get around that right. asking for permission thing. Uh-huh. And I also feel like a lot of times you can you know, write it and then ask for forgiveness later <laughs> on some things. Um, so, yeah. When you,
0: when you write about people you know, are you worried that they're going to see it before you're... Ready for them to see?
1: No, because I'm really good at hiding things.
0: Um. <laughs> are you worried about that they're going to see it until? Fortunately, my my children would die before they ever read anything <laughs> that I wrote. <read. laughs> so I'm pretty comfortable around that, you know. And and my mother's very forgiving. So right on your end, how does that work when you're bringing people when when people you know our character? We talk about this a lot. When people you know our characters, right, that is, it can be it can be uncomfortable for them. It's not uncomfortable for you, right. but It can be uncomfortable for them, and then their discomfort can kind of visit yeah. you. Yeah. I,
1: I feel like I haven't written anything that would really discomfort anyone. Because, like, I feel like I always think that you, if you're adding people and yourself, you're also in the picture, mm-hmm. you should make yourself look, you should be more critical of yourself than other right. people because you, you know your own intentions mm-hmm. and you know what your motivations are versus other people. You can only assume things. So... But I try to keep it, I try to be fair to the people I write about, if I write about people I know.
0: I think a lot about what it must be like to be in David Sedaris' life. Yeah. <laughs> because like you, you're like, even though I did something horrible, he's going to write about it, but then he's still going to look worse. But yeah. But there's, there's, yeah. there's still the exposure of, of, of being around a, a person exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. Um, when it comes to submitting st- your stories elsewhere, how do you how do you make that decision especially as someone who's done the editing on a journal yeah. you know does, do you think that gives you insight or do you think that that makes you more intimidated about submitting?
1: I definitely think it gives us insight yeah. of, like oh, cause yeah. we know what we look for in pieces so I'm always like more conscious about that when I'm sending out submissions
0: yeah. and I feel
1: like, I care if they, if they say some, add something specific to the cover letter because mm-hmm. we have a rule that you need to explain why your piece is intersectionally feminist mm-hmm. I, if you're submitting it to us, and if you don't take that seriously, mm-hmm. we're not going to even look at it. Right. So I yeah. feel like paying attention to that kind of gatekeeping. It's because it's not like a negative type of gatekeeping in a way. It's just like
2: if you have a specific direction, mm-hmm. you should pay attention and respect that. In a yeah, way. respecting guidelines, and I think this is like a much lighter thing, but I used to worry so much if I submitted something with a typo in it. I would be like, oh my God, I have to withdraw this. This is horrible. This is the worst thing. They're going to reject it. And now I'm like, oh, it, they if they like it, that typo is not going to make or break whether it gets yeah. in or not. And that's like a really nice reassuring thing yeah. that this has brought me. <laughs> I,
0: my, my wife is actually kind of trying to promote that. Uh, she's an eighth grade teacher okay. and you know, she teaches English, and you know, whenever the kids are like, "Well, I can't be a, a writer. I can't spell," and she, she, always says, "The worst speller I know in my entire life is my husband," <laughs> and he is a professional writer. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it is there. There is that intimidation, and then when you realize, and being an editor helps. Having, having oh edited, God. helps. Like, we can fix the spelling. If you don't have a good idea, right. that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize how much work. Like, getting accepted isn't, we're going to print this for you, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Getting accepted is, okay, this is something... We're going to work on now with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so do you think that you're more cavalier? Not cavalier, but do you think it makes it easier to submit knowing that if it's accepted, you're going to get a second bite of the apple?
2: Definitely. And I think that the other thing is... I mean, it's always so lovely when you get those thoughtful revisions from an editor. It's like, wow, they really saw the potential in this. They really wanted to help me make this the best it can be. And I think on the other side of that coin, um, I mean, seeing that we have to reject some really good pieces sometimes just because they aren't maybe a good fit for us um, or they aren't quite there yet. I think that knowing that a lot of rejections are like that even makes the rejections easier because I'm like, honestly... It's probably not like, oh, I hated this, send it away. But it was probably a situation more like, this isn't ready. So it's a little bit like, right. it, it definitely helps on both sides there.
0: Right. Yeah, I always, it took me a long time to understand that they really mean it when they say this isn't for us. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's, I, I always thought that that was just like a cast off, like, you know, don't waste my time responding to you. <laughs> it's not for me. Right. But it's really like, I looked at it and No. But
2: thanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like we really value every submission that we get. And knowing that for us, I'm like, yeah, I think that it's not so bad to just get a bunch of no's (laughs) because I'm sure that the journals appreciated what they get, you know? we love our submissions.
0: <laughs> so when you were assistant editor last time and you were right. responsible for kind of drumming up submissions, what are the kinds of things that you do?
1: Ooh, what did I do? Um we always try to use social media to the best of our ability. Um one of our things with being an intersectional feminist journal is we also really pr- like value accessibility, so we do fee-free days cuz usually you submit for the contest issue mm-hmm. and it costs around like $9 usually, but we'd have two days um twice in the um submission period where it was free. Because we thought this is a way of promoting accessibility. And we want to get uh, and like any potential voices that would think that they'd be a fit for us to like, have that choice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that was a big thing. And so social media, we would design flyers to hand out at places. So. And Kira's just doing a great job building oh, on things that I tried <laughs> to start last year. Yeah.
0: And so and so even though you're sitting across from her and you're not a nonfiction person. So you can't hurt <laughs> people's feelings with no good reason. What are you doing differently, and what do you think you're doing better this year? Oh,
2: I mean, I wouldn't say it's a case of better or worse. I think it was just that, um, so we kind of did a little bit of rebranding over the past couple of years, and a lot of what Kristen did last year was making sure that our mission was cohesive with that new branding and kind of getting us to that point where we could move forward, Mm -hmm. so now that that um, hump has been passed, my job is kind of, like, to keep moving us forward. So one of the things that we couldn't do as much of during that rebranding was the social media. Mm-hmm. So now that we're through that, I'm looking at, okay, how can we really get connected in the online literary community? Um, the Twitter literary community is fantastic. Um, kind of looking at different organizations and groups and places where we can you know, spread the word and also learn about other outlets just like us so we can kind of have that really communal feel and um, just feel like we're supportive to other journals, to writers, trying to promote um, everything that our contributors have published since they've worked with us so that we have that really like family feel. So that's kind of our next goal.
0: (laughs) And and so what's the submission period this year?
1: So it opened on September 15th and it runs through November 15th.
0: Cool, well hopefully this will be out the first week in November so people will be able to know right. that you send us your
1: work <laughs> we're about to send, <laughs> and, it, send
0: it so before we get too far in, where where can they where can they send their work
1: so they can go to our submittable page I believe it is oh this is bad that I don't know
0: this I, I think it's worse if head. the social media manager doesn't know
1: yeah well um, you can go to, um, to follow so to speak journal on mm-hmm. Twitter and Instagram and we are constantly posting
2: it yeah. we'll have links
0: in the show notes as well yeah
2: and yeah, our website there should be a link to our submittable page right on there yes. so yeah.
0: And so as far as the program in school, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, how close are you to the end? What What is What is the program that you're in look like, and where are you in that? Because this okay. isn't your gig gig. This is no. one of the things that you're doing.
1: Yes, I do so many things. <laughs> um, I have a full-time job on many top hats. of all this. Many, many hats. hats. <laughs> I wear many, many hats. Um, so I'm a third year, so I'm in my final year, which means right now I'm taking a workshop class, and I'm working on writing my thesis, which is about... And by the end, it'll be hopefully 100 to 150 pages of quality writing. And then it's from there, it's a foundation to start writing something further. So, for instance, a book. I'm currently writing about the connection between food and politics in American mm. culture because that was something that was just... It's been an idea I've been thinking about since I started grad school in 2017. And I just... I got the opportunity to start writing about it. I went to the Iowa State Fair this year to like watch all the candidates speak, and then just peruse the fair and eat pork chops on sticks because that's American politics for you. Um, so, and I so our program you have to take multiple workshop classes, you have to take some craft classes, then you get electives which can be special topics. Like I took a food writing class. I took a um, class about writing about cultures that are yours versus other people's cultures and how to do it in a way that's like respectful. Um, I also took a dystopian narratives class for a fiction writing class because you have taken out a genre, and that was a fun time. <laughs> it was daunting. I cannot write fiction. <laughs>
2: Dystopia is hard.
0: I always feel like a phony. I feel like a phony when it gets to the dialogue. I feel like when I'm writing fiction, everyone knows how awful I am, at <laughs> and that's 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 just where it stops. I'm like, wow, that is. It just it's always flat for me, and mm-hmm. I think it's. Having spoken with fiction writers before, they say it's because I, it's because I know that that it, it's, it's not, not good. Real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And dude, so, so how, how about you? So, comment on my dialogue thing, please, and then, <laughs> and then tell me where you are in your classes.
2: Um, well, about the dialogue <laughs> thing, um, I would say. I know people who swear by basically taking the dialogue out of the story and reading it like it's a script, and they say that that really helps them. For me, I don't do that. What I do is I just feel like I try to develop my characters so that they feel really real to me, and then I look at each line of dialogue, and I'm like, is this something they would say? Mm. So it's more for me a process of character development than dialogue development, but I know others are a little bit different about how they do that. Um, But I also write a lot of, like colloquial pieces, so the language is very, like, what I would probably use anyway, (laughs) which makes it easier. Um, Yeah, so as for where I am in the program, since I'm a second year, I'm about to make ground on my thesis, kind of get that started, and I'm going to be doing a short story collection for my thesis because I swear by the short story. I love flash fiction. I love short stories. I am not a novel writer i just really like to be able to approach so many different things and the short story lets you do that Mm. by doing a collection (laughs) of many things
0: and so how about after graduation do you have your eye on on (laughs) what uh
2: i have not
1: thought this far in the future (laughs) because i'm just taking it day by day page by page that i write hopefully um so i'm definitely gonna keep writing and keep submitting um I work full time as an event planner and I'm probably going to keep doing that because I enjoy that work. And mm-hmm. I do a lot of writing and editing at that job too because I do a lot of like the communications work for that. Right. Um, so probably stick with that and just find time to write because, you know, if I don't have grad school, I'll actually have more time to write, I think.
0: Well, it, it's, it's, it's funny. You, you may have more time to write except you'll be dead inside when you <laughs> oh, oh, that's God. a great thing to hear. <laughs> I, I was. I. I am a journalist, and I spent okay. years in the newspaper business, and and it was like. what well, and that was my thought. I'm like, well, if I'm writing all day, when I get home, I'll even be better. When, <laughs> when I get home, I'm like, oh, the world is ending, and there's nothing interesting to say about it.
1: Fair. Very fair. <laughs> what a positive outlook this yes. has turned into. Realistic. Can't wait for that post grad life. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. Um, yeah. And so when. You're, so you're looking to take her job next year. Go <laughs> steal your job. And, uh, and also looking, and also looking like down the road, like you're trying to establish, But mm-hmm. like you have tried to establish what you would like to see, and now you're mm-hmm. trying to establish what you would like to see. So, what are your hopes for the journal and for its effect? I guess in the next five years, we'll start. Oh,
1: okay. The or next three five years. years. The next three years. Okay. So, um, so just because a very big mission of, in addition to um, uplifting voices in our writing, We also like to work with our local community and support um, different organizations that are helping out people. Like last year, um, we worked a lot with the charity Ayuda, which is uh, an organization in DC that helps immigrants with legal, um, social, and um, translation services. So we like doing things like that a lot, and I would love to see more of those types of events that we do. So we try and do fundraisers and different ways to support those groups. So doing that and just getting more involved with our local community, our local writing community. Those be great things um just keep publishing great writing i feel like every year our submission piles get larger and our writing keeps the writing that we're sent keeps getting better and better Mm -hmm. and i really one of the things i really value about this journal is people always say that working with our genre editors is a like delight like and they say this is one of the best editing experiences that i've ever had so i really just i like being that like warm home to like people send their writing to
0: and, and how do you feel like, do you feel like that's something that you agree with and can execute? And do you have any big ideas for no next year pressure, already? No pressure, <laughs>
2: No pressure. Yeah, I mean, I really agree with that. I think that promoting those voices is and will be our top goal. And I think um, everything else is kind of falling under the umbrella of how we can do that, how we can help uplift as many people um, as we can, and um, how we can kind of push back against this system that we are within um, kind of trying to take that literary canon and turn it upside down so I think that um, a lot of the things we do with uh, charity work and community outreach and especially now diving into like the internet community outreach which is um, connecting us connecting us with writers all over the world that aren't even in our local community um, I think that those are all just means of helping get us there so full steam ahead (laughs) 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 and
0: so I'm under the impression that this is uh, that the published one is the one that has the 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 fee to submit and those fees go to support literally putting the The journal (laughs) 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 yeah you said you also have an online one can you talk about that a little bit
1: yes so um, we have a summer online issue we usually are open between February and April I believe that sounds about right It's free to submit to. Um, It's housed on our website, which is so to speak, journal.org. Promotions right there. There you go. Um, And it's kind of just this only a little larger. So the contest issue, we send it to judges. So this year we have Anita Felicelli, Ty Freedom Ford, Angela Pelster, and Sarah Irvin as our judges for, that's fiction, poetry, nonfiction, and visual art, in that order. I Mm. got it right. Um, And so... Um, we kind, of, they like will pick the final pieces that go in. So like our genre editors will go through and see like these are like the top five typically that we send, and then we send those to our judges, and they pick the winner and a runner up. Hmm. And then for the online issue, it's just our genre editors who select it. So they give recommendations of what kind of things they like to read, and so they're the ones doing the final selections. And then Kira and I will just approve and read and make sure that it's what we want to put out in the world. <laughs>
0: Do you consider things like length when you're when you're looking at online of like what what you're going to put online? Is that do you feel you have more or less control over how long? Like if you like something at ten thousand words that you would never publish in a journal, right. um, or I guess in the standards it says your your word count.
2: Yeah. So we do have I think typically around. 4,000 words yes. as our fiction limit, for example, it's also the non-fiction and nonfiction, limit. so the prose limit. Mm. And I know that um, we do have like a little bit more leeway for the online issue. When we were working on the online issue, um, I was assistant fiction editor when we were working on that one. So we were thinking a lot about, okay, we have more freedom since it is online, so we can pick more pieces if we want to pick more pieces, we can pick fewer. Um, and as far as the word count, if it goes a little over 4,000, we do have that leeway. Right. But if we get something that's a lot over the guidelines, it's a little more like, wait, did this person not read our guidelines? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, but there is a little more um, freedom with that online issue. And it is fun to kind of play around with that and have that extra freedom to just really go all in on whatever we want to select.
0: Well, all right. And, and last but not least, as we come up into the station here, can you tell me about how you promote your own work once you once you get once you get it out there um ooh, good
1: question i need to work on getting more work out there is really the, <laughs> the first answer to you that do it i will do it i have to do it um so i definitely would promote on my twitter handle and then probably my instagram also mm-hmm. so social media mm-hmm. um just work on that kind of stuff: marketing, marketing, marketing.
0: Mm-hmm. That's yeah, the worst part. It's like, yes. <laughs> uh, I think it's fun. <laughs> oh God! The, the, the first time that the, the first book I got published, I and they were like, you know, here's your book. <laughs> Have a nice day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was, it. I was shocked at how much work is on the author for yeah. for promoting, yeah. for promoting the book, yeah. and it just it took the it took the joy out of the second book and probably <laughs> and probably prohibited the third book from even getting written because the the amount of work it's it's just it's just easier to mm-hmm. write yeah. articles for other people, yeah. <laughs> which, which oh, nonfiction yeah. people can get away with. It's a little bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know
1: when I got my first essay published, my mom was just so excited. So she would tell everyone she knew. So maybe I'll just like tell my there mom and then have word her market mouth. for yeah.
2: me. Word of mouth, spread the word, yeah, everybody. Like they did in the day. I say Twitter all the way. It's just the best. I think if you kind of get a good community going with who you're following and who follows you and you interact a lot and just read everyone's writing share other people's writing they'll share yours it's just it's fun I don't know (laughs) there's something fun about like tweeting out like here's my story and then all the people who you read are like ah a story right Uh, I like her I'll share this yeah yeah let's let's read
0: this (laughs) the only that what's disappointing to me a lot of times I don't know if you've seen this with your own um like running because I run other people's it's like ten thousand people like it, and six people make it to the website. Right? Uh, that's yeah. and that's what's always that mm-hmm. that, that that's what's always a, a challenge when when you're when you're wondering how much time to spend promoting on social yeah, media. Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, yeah. So.
2: Yeah. Getting those clicks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining thank me. Thank you. And uh, it's been a pleasure. And good luck. Thanks. Thank you. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhat'sYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review.
1: Tell your story.